Earlier this month, we brought you The Outlook, presented by Regents Blue Shield of Idaho, with four great in-depth conversations with some of the issues that are impacting our economy. Here's our Margaret Carmel with Elaine Clegg, the CEO of Valley Regional Transit. Thanks, Don. I'm here with Elaine Clegg, the CEO of Valley Regional Transit. We're going to be talking about the future of public transit in the Treasure Valley. Thanks so much for coming on our program today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So we all know Idahoans love to drive. Why do you think more public transit should be part of the Treasure Valley's future? Well, whether you love to drive or not, there are times when it's not convenient to drive, uh, when there's bad weather, other uh, instances. There's also 31% of Idahoans who do not uh, drive. They're either too young or too old, or perhaps they have a disability or they don't own a car. And we need opportunities for them to travel. Um, To me, transit is one way to make sure that people have freedom to move around the state. So thinking ahead to 10 years, what do you think our public transit system could look like and how could it address some of the issues we're going to have as our region continues to grow? Well, if you look at other regions around the country, the ones who have uh, responded to growth with only building more and wider roads, continue to have congestion, continue to have uh, traffic that people aren't happy with and continue to have really hard commutes. So looking forward 10 years, I'm hopeful that this region will have access to the rail corridor that runs through the middle of the valley as a regional express route uh, to travel parallel to the freeway if you choose not to drive and would rather let someone else do the driving. Uh, while you read or use Wi-Fi or whatever else you want to do. In addition to that, uh, we will have a really good, frequent, high-quality bus system that connects to those rail stops. So once you arrive at a stop from that rail, you can get where you need to go, um, wherever your final destination is. In addition, that high-quality, frequent Uh, bus transit will offer the opportunity for people to travel around their communities uh, without getting on the rail in a way that's convenient, attractive, uh, fast. And if we do all of that, I think that we can avoid some of the mistakes that uh, other places, especially in the West, have made as, as they've grown. So that sounds expensive. Obviously, we are constrained here in Idaho because right now we don't have state funding for transit. How do you envision that getting paid for? Well, uh, regional transit authorities are the only subdivision of state government in Idaho that doesn't have a taxing authority. Uh, It doesn't work very well. I think anyone who has been a member of a Um, agency that has taxing authority would understand that it wouldn't work very well if you didn't. So I do look forward to having a conversation about how to fix that. I don't know what that tax will be. I don't know um, how it will um, make it through the legislature. I do know that the residents of this region, at least all of the uh, polling that I've seen over the last two decades, consistently indicate that they'd be willing to tax themselves to have good transit. I think that's a piece of it. I think the other piece of it is that if we do this well and do this right, uh, we can have a fare box return that would significantly help, especially on the rail corridor, um, with the costs of it. 
that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that there is a fiscal conservative argument to this, like something that that you can say to people who maybe are are Republicans and not as gung ho as tr- about transit as Democrats usually are? Well, you know, it's interesting. I always hear that we subsidize transit. The fact of the matter is, we subsidize all transportation. And so if we want a robust economy, um, then we need to subsidize transportation. Transit is a part of that. I would say there's a big return on investment uh, with transit if we do it well and do it right. Uh, It's interesting when we look at roadway projects, we often say, gosh, in 10 years, we're going to need this to be this much bigger because we project all these people will be here. And when we talk about transit, we often say, well, what was ridership last year? Oh, it wasn't good enough. Maybe we shouldn't fund it anymore. So I hope to turn that around and say, if we're going to talk about investing in transportation for the future, let's talk about that on both sides of the ledger. And I think there's a big return on investment if we invest in transit in the right way, getting people to job sites. Right now, your worker pool, the employees that you could hire may be quite a bit uh, smaller than you'd appreciate um, or need to have because they can't get to work. So transit could provide that. Uh, Where are people going to live and still be able to get to work? Again, uh, if you have good transit, you can uh, increase your pool of employees. And third, um, what about your customer base? Where do they live? How are they going to get to you? So transit plays a role in all of that, just as driving does. It's not that driving's bad. It's just that transit is another choice for that. Something you've talked about to me before is freedom to move where it's about trying to build transit and more about just giving people options. Can you on that and your, your thoughts? Sure. Um, you know, it is, it really is, I think, freedom to move. Right now we have uh, a system where if you want to get somewhere, you need to own and be able to drive a car. And if you don't have that, you're not free to move around your community. You're not independent. Um, say you are an older adult who has a disability and you're no longer allowed to drive, you're now dependent on other people to take you to the places that you need to go to live an independent life. No one, um, I think, wants that. No one sees that as a good future for themselves or their loved ones. And if, say, again, that you're a suburban mom or a suburban teen, Right now, you depend on that parent to get you to all the places you need to go. Uh, That creates a lack of freedom for both those teens and for those parents who are driving them around. And if we had a good transit system that allowed those teens who are not old enough yet to drive uh, to get around on their own, it would free up uh, the lives of both both sides of that ledger uh, to do more and be more. For sure. I think we all remember our mom getting tired of driving us to whatever activity day after day. Um, Whenever you're thinking about how this links into major employers, obviously Micron is a big elephant coming into the room. They're going to hire a lot of new people out at their site. How will transit link up to that? If we get access to the rail corridor, there will be a rail stop within a mile of their facility. 
that rail stop will have express rapid service to almost the whole valley. And um, then there'd be a, a bus shuttle that would take you that last mile. In the meantime, um, we foresee being able to provide good express bus service uh, across the valley uh, to a site like Micron. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were both up at Sun Valley at the Boise Metro Chamber's annual leadership conference. And there we heard from an executive at Amtrak and she gave us a, a best case scenario get rail. Can you tell us more about the status of that? I mean, this isn't coming tomorrow, right? It isn't. However, I did talk to uh, both her and a former Amtrak employee after uh, the uh, speech that she gave. And in that, she indicated that it would be 10 or 15 years before we'd be able to use the rail corridor. She was talking about the long distance piece of it, and there is quite a bit more track and quite a bit more infrastructure that will need to be um, addressed before we can go all the way from Portland, say, to Las Vegas. However, pieces, shorter pieces of that, especially the 17 miles within the valley, um, could be addressed sooner. And uh, the numbers I heard, both from the other former Amtrak employee I talked to and one that I heard a couple of months ago talk about it, was between five and seven years instead of 10 to 15. So pieces of it could happen sooner. Uh, Long-term, just like any transportation project, is going to take a while to get all of the parts in place. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't start tomorrow with uh, some of the smaller bits. Recently, your agency rolled out a new plan, uh, the Better Bus Initiative, to reformat the network and make some changes. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. Um, you know, right now we do have a bit of a funding shortfall. Uh, inflation has hit our industry just as it has almost every other industry. Uh, buses are more expensive, maintenance more expensive, drivers, uh, operators pay is more expensive, uh, compressed natural gas, which most of our buses run on, has gone up 61% in the last couple of years. Uh, given all of that, if we have the same funding next year as what we have this year, uh, we'll only be able to provide fewer hours of service. Um, so we have a scenario out that shows what kind of service we could offer with those fewer hours and the same funding. But we also, at the behest of our funding partners, cities and counties, uh, produce two scenarios that show what we might do with the same service hours and more funding. And rather than stick with the um, system that we have today, which is not a bad system by any means, but isn't really... Um, moving forward in building frequency and building a, a better bus system, we took those, uh, those same hours and focused them on a concentrated network, core network, especially in Ada County, that moves people faster, uh, more connectedly, and more frequently. Uh, we also offered a scenario that did some of that and offered some on-demand or uh, you know, dial-a-ride, web-ride web, web uh, ride, uh, kind of service in parts of the county that otherwise would lose service in this scenario. So we're gathering input on that. Um, neither of those two, two scenarios is likely to go forward exactly as is. Once we get that input, 
Um, we will work with our funding partners and work with the public to develop what will be the final um, service plan that we'll roll out in the fall. Um, but regardless, my hope is, especially if we can uh, maintain the service hours, that this is a plan that begins to build toward higher ridership, uh, better, uh, more frequent bus service that attracts more people than what we have today. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Do you know about when we're going to know once we get a new bus network or not? Well, um, the survey that we're running right now will be out for about a month. We'll have a public hearing in uh, the Boise side at the Boise City Council to consider how much funding they would like to contribute uh, in the beginning of June. Our local partners' budgets will be set in June and July. And we should know by the August board meeting of the Valley Regional Transit Board um, what the final scenario will be. Great. I, I think we're all looking forward to that. Obviously, we don't want to get too in the weeds here because we only have so much time. But can you hit the highlights of what are some new connections, new features of that bus line that you could expect if your proposal goes forward? Well, I think one of the biggest features is that um, there are some north-south connections in Ada County that don't exist today. And those connections, whether we get the more frequent routes or not, allow people to uh, move in different directions more easily. So for instance, instead of having to go all the way downtown um, to Main Street Station and then back out to uh, Emerald or the Mall or Orchard or Overland, you would be able to take uh, a route from uh, 36th and State Street that would travel north and south toward Fairview, toward Emerald, toward Overland, or the same on Glenwood and Cole. I think those that connected network style will begin to move us in a direction that will allow people to get to the places that they really need to get to uh, more quickly overall on the network. Something that you guys have talked about is how you're often making choices between buses going more places or busing, buses running more frequently. Can you talk about that tension? Sure. So imagine that your car only started every hour. You had one minute every hour to go start your car. And wherever you needed to go, you had to make sure that you caught that hour or you missed it. Um, not very convenient, right? And that's Definitely why not. a lot of our bus system is like that. Now imagine that you got a new software upgrade and now your car can start every 30 minutes. Wow, that's quite a bit better. Uh, still not great, but certainly a lot more convenient. Now, uh, just imagine that the next super software upgrade allowed you to start that car every 15 minutes. And then suddenly you have the freedom to get where you need to go um, in a timely manner. So frequency really is an important feature of a good transit network. And right now we have two routes that have that 15 minute frequency of uh, about six hours a day. Um, in this uh, new scenario, one of them, we have a third route that has that, and we have four more routes that have 30 minute service all day long, where today they have only a few hours of 30 minute service and the rest of the day is 60 minutes. So we think that that frequency could um, be a real 
benefit to many of our writers. On the other hand, right now, uh, more people have access to the system because those infrequent buses run more places than they would in the scenario that we've produced. Um, however, if you look at the number of writers that are utilizing that access, it's quite low as a percentage because it's so inconvenient. That 60 minute frequency just doesn't work very well for many people. So while um, the scenario that doesn't offer as much access across uh, the Ada County as, uh, and Canyon County as the other scenario, it does offer access that is uh, enough more convenient that our projections show that more people will ride than are riding today. The other trade-off that we could consider is offering the on-demand service um, that would provide some of that coverage. And when you have access to a larger area, it's typically in the transit world called coverage. And in offering that more coverage in an on-demand way, uh, rather than through a fixed route, we can perhaps use that to um, mine the data and find out exactly where the demands are and where it might be worthwhile to build fixed routes uh, in the future. So my hope is that we have some combination of the two so that we can begin to gather some of that data, but that we also begin to take advantage of some of that more frequent service. Yeah, and can you give us a quick primer on how on-demand works? Basically, you would say, okay, here's my here's where I am, and I would like to get to work at Sluice, or Microsoft will come pick you up. Is that right? So it'll be a website or a call, and you can say, here's where I am. There will be a site near you that we've already identified that would be a pickup site, much like a bus stop. Um, so you'd walk to that site, the on-demand vehicle would pick you up within a specified time. It would tell you when it would pick you up. Uh, we'll also likely, if we move that direction in Ada County, have a few designated sites that are the farthest ones it would take you to, say for instance, Main Street Station or Town Square Mall, and or it could drop you at a connection to one of those more frequent routes. Um, so at that point, it would be up to you. What's the quickest, best way to get to your final destination? Is it to go to one of the big transfer stations or is it to just get to one of the frequent routes? Okay, that makes sense. So here, last question. I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, um, but what made you fall in love with transit? What, what got you so fired up about this? <laughs> oh, wow. Good question. I lived in Denver as a child uh, for about six years. My mother did not drive at that point. And so uh, we were out kind of in the suburbs. It's, it's now uh, not at all in the suburbs if you look at Denver today, but at, in that time it was. But there was good bus service out there. And we rode the bus all over town. And I really learned the kind of freedom that that bus could offer you, even in a place where you had a parent who couldn't drive you because she didn't drive at that point. Um, she, could, she went with us certainly um, on most of those rides, but uh, that, that really uh, cemented for me how wonderful the bus could be in providing access and providing freedom. When I first moved back to Boise, uh, my grandparents lived downtown. We lived up on the bench. I could get to their house by bus. I also rode a bike a lot, but um, those were my two main ways of getting around town were bus and bike. 
Um, I did that even uh, at the time that I started at Boise State. I still lived up on the bench and um, just have always enjoyed both the ability to travel without having to be the driver, letting someone else be the driver, but also the ability for more people to travel who might not otherwise be able to. Well, that's our time. I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, This has been a really great conversation and I hope to see you soon. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. There's no place quite like Idaho. That's why Regents Blue Shield of Idaho is constantly reimagining the healthcare experience, tailoring it to fit the needs of local families and businesses. Rooted here since 1946, we're shaping the future with cutting edge digital solutions, Idaho-based customer service, and unparalleled access to top doctors. That's the region's difference you can count on. We get you because we are you.